I wondered if we could take a look at this moment together. It, take places, it takes place in Luke chapter 24, and it's this fascinating way that Jesus decides to reveal himself to some of his closest friends after his resurrection. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this all took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. And he said to him, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. 
The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I was in prisoner. Now I'm not with your blood, you bought my freedom. Hallelujah. For the cross, you'd sing. Amen. And he is risen. risen It's so great to hear your voices. Last year this time, I was the only one in the room. I had to say both parts. It was awful. I I hate it. It's so much better when you guys say that. I love it. Think about those words. He is risen. You know, death has a pretty good record. It's undefeated. You know, everyone dies. And Jesus died, like everyone else. Uh, But he is the only one who ever has come back from that. And if he really did, then that changes everything. If he really did, then I will believe whatever he tells me. You know, if he really did, then life is not this small, futile, desperate struggle for a few moments of happiness before the void takes us. If he really came back, then life is this big, expansive, purposeful, eternal thing because he's risen. Those are the stakes on Easter morning. Uh, Jesus stays dead, then life itself is an accident with no ultimate purpose, and the joy that we experience is temporary because death is coming for us all. But if that tomb is empty, if that tomb is empty, then everything he said is true. And what that means is that the God of the universe came for you. The God of the universe didn't give up on you. The God of the universe thought about you and loves you. And the pain that we experience in life is temporary because resurrection is coming for us all. Those are the stakes. There's no middle ground. Either that tomb has bones in it or it's empty and everything has changed because he is risen. He is risen indeed and nothing will be the same. 
That's why we say that. I love this story that uh, Kyle and Susie just read uh, of Cleopas and his friend on the road. I especially love this moment of exclamation that they have after Jesus leaves. Uh, They say, we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road. What I love is they had this moment where like their minds were still pretty confused, like their minds didn't have it all figured out, but somehow their hearts knew something that their minds didn't. Like that's a very human experience, isn't it? Like, like to, to have our, our minds confused, but our hearts gravitating towards what we ultimately need. I think this is what happens, like, like you ever uh, get lost in a sunrise and you just kind of feel it? Or you get caught up in a song, or you rest in a loving embrace, and you just kind of feel it in here in your heart. Uh, that's your soul telling you, you were created for something more, right? And your mind may not totally have it figured out, but your soul, your heart is longing for that thing, that something more. That's what Cleopas and his friend were feeling on that road. That's what resurrection, even 2,000 years later, the thought of resurrection, it does for that, something for us. There's something in our souls that gets awakened, that reminds us that we were meant for something more. And our hearts are burning in us. What is that thing? What's that thing our hearts are longing for? What I want to do today is just kind of give it a name. I I would love for us to walk out of here with some sense of what it is that our hearts burning is calling us towards. We've been studying these last few weeks during Lent the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross, and we've gotten through six of them. Um, And these are seven unique things that he said that were very purposeful. The one that we have left is actually the last statement that he makes before he dies. We're in Luke 24 in the resurrection passage. We're going to go back to Luke 23. We're going to go from Sunday to Friday just for a minute, because I, I think in this final statement that Jesus makes on the cross, I think it actually reveals that thing that all of our hearts ultimately are longing for. Like that thing that if we don't ever find it, we'll just have these burning hearts that we don't know what to do with. So Luke 23, it's his final words before he's died. He said uh, some things about forgiveness, about heaven, about family, about why he came. And then in his last moment, he says something that is ultimately just for the ears of his heavenly father. But we get to overhear it. Here's what he says, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. There it is. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the thing. That's the thing that ultimately life is about. That's what our hearts are burning for inside of us. 
Let me explain. You know, what made Jesus like no one else, aside from the fact that he was fully God, fully human, totally sinless, all that stuff, which is really important, um, but it was really that he lived every second of his life in total trust with his heavenly Father. That's what made his life so extraordinary. His final word was like the consistent word of his entire life. He lived that way every day. Father, I'm putting my life into your hands. And in every moment, he said, my heart is going to trust my heavenly Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so what made Jesus like no one else on earth is that Jesus trusted God like no one else on earth. That's what set him apart. That's how he lived. That's how he died. And there's this moment where he dies on the cross and they place him in that tomb and he's really dead. And he died trusting his heavenly father. And you know what? On Friday, he looked pretty foolish. On Friday, he looked like he trusted the wrong person. He looked pretty stupid. And on Saturday, he looked pretty foolish. On Saturday, it looked like he trusted the wrong person. And then came Sunday. And when God the Father brought him to life. Our hearts started burning inside of us because we finally realized what Jesus knew all along, that God is totally trustworthy. God is totally trustworthy. And what was awakened in the heart of Cleopas and his friend, what is awakened in our hearts 2,000 years later, is this hope that we might just be able to live that way. To live as if it was true. That like if we went all in with God, and if we totally trusted him with our life, that we might look foolish for a few days like Jesus did, but ultimately we would not be put to shame. And our hearts burn with the hope that we too would be saved and redeemed and made whole and resurrected. So the hope of Easter Sunday is that regardless of how it seems today, that God is as trustworthy and as loving as Jesus always said he is. That's what we hope. I want to ask you a question. Don't you long to believe that? Like set aside for a second whether or not you do. Don't you want to believe it? Don't you want to believe that everything he said is true? Like, don't you want to believe that there is this God of the universe who actually thinks about you and deeply loves you? that your sins are forgiven, that there's this kingdom of justice and love where things are made right and there's abundant mercy and grace and it's crashing down onto earth as it is in heaven. Don't you long to believe that after we die in a moment, we awaken in the loving embrace of our heavenly Father? What makes our hearts burn is the hope that maybe it's true and that God is as trustworthy as Jesus always said. Resurrection awakens that thing in our heart that was created to trust God. And that our hearts will never be satisfied until we do. Resurrection settles our fears. It reveals that he's worthy of our trust. And no matter how dark Friday gets, no matter how much it seems like sin and death is winning in the moment, God not only has the power to reverse it all and bring life out of death, but he also has a plan to do just that. We can trust it. And we can trust him. What Easter reveals is that for us, when we commit our spirit into the hands of our Heavenly Father, resurrection is what comes next. That's what our hearts were meant for. 
That's what we were born for. That's what burns in our hearts, this longing to trust God. That's what Jesus was explaining to these guys on the road. He was freeing them from this expectation that somehow it was about religion and it was about effort. It was about trying really hard to be an acceptable person and ascending a ladder of religiosity and spirituality. And Jesus is saying, no, it was never about that. It was about trust. That's what the spiritual life was about. That's what's burning in our hearts. It's about letting go. It is about entrusting ourselves to God the way that Jesus Christ did on the cross and in every moment. And in that trust, he leads us to that new life. God's worthy of your trust. And my hope is this, is that all of us that that will trust God, that will trust him eternally, first of all. And what that means is, hey, we're all broken. We're all sinners. We've got all these issues separated from God, unable to deal with our stuff. But what Jesus was doing on the cross was not just talking to God, but he was actually removing all of the judgment, all of the consequences, all of the sin that is in our life so that it is not there anymore with God. And this forgiveness of sins thing that he was explaining to his disciples is just that simple. All it takes is a little bit of trust of Jesus. Save me from my sins. That's all it takes. The forgiveness of God could not be easier to get. You have to do nothing because Jesus did all of it. It couldn't be easier. Like, Like all he has for us is love and this desire for our forgiveness. Like he has no anger about our sin. He just has this deep abiding love and this desire to welcome us into his paradise after we die. And what we discover if we've trusted Jesus on the day that we die is the same thing that he discovered on the day that he died, that God the Father is totally trustworthy. But I want us to suppose, let's just suppose for a second. Let's just suppose that none of us died today. That'd be nice. Let's suppose we all make it through the night. Let's suppose we all wake up tomorrow morning. What do we do then? You know, we've got these lives. um, I mean, gosh, we all need resurrection, right? Broken relationship, wounds, hurts that won't heal, sins that we can't stop struggling with, issues. Look at our world, right? Talk about a place that needs resurrection. Poverty and justice, abuse, materialism, nationalism, trafficking, violence. We could go on for hours listing the things. Like, do we just kind of hang on until we die? Is that the hope of Easter? Like, hey, we're going to be resurrected after we die, so just hold on tight. Like, is is this what Jesus is saying to Cleopas and his disciples? Just do your best, you'll be dead soon? (laughs) Of course not. Absolutely not. Resurrection is not just a promise for one day. It is a promise for today. Following Jesus does not mean just that we die like Jesus died. It actually means that we live like Jesus lived. And it means that we begin to live tomorrow as if God could really be trusted. That's what resurrection calls us to. Resurrection should be life-changing, not just death-changing, because we finally listen to that burning in our hearts that we glimpsed in all of these different moments and then quieted and walked away from. But the resurrected Jesus makes us think, 
maybe there was something to that. And this God can be trusted. So I picked uh, this story of Cleopas and his friend on the road because I, I really like it and it connects with me personally. I know normally we do the tomb stuff. Those stories are good um, for Easter, but I really like this one, especially this year because I, I, I relate to it on a deep personal level. Uh, here these guys were, totally demoralized. Jesus has died. You know, they hear this thing of he's not in the tomb, and that probably created more fear than less. They're feeling like their hope is shattered, their world has crumbled, and with all those feelings, they decide uh, to go for a seven-mile walk up to Emmaus. Uh, and I relate to that so deeply because that is exactly what I would do. Uh, let me show you my Emmaus Road. Uh, this is my Emmaus Road. This is a trail by my house. And I'm a jogger. I've really become a jogger this last year. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time running on this trail. And this last year, when I have felt demoralized or like the world is crumbling or overwhelmed with life, I just go for a run on this trail. Um, so, you know, I get, feel trapped at home because of quarantine. I'd go for a run on this trail. Uh, when I was confused about what, to, what do you do like with church in a pandemic, that's my first one, I don't know. Um, <laughs> the next one is going to be a lot better. But, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I was frustrating, so I'd go for a run on the trail. Someone close to me is grieving the loss of a loved one. Go for a run on the trail. Someone I care about is suffering and hurting go for a run on the trail. Even when I like encountered my own sinfulness, my own brokenness, struggled to forgive people who had hurt me, go for a run on the trail. That's what I did all year. This last year, I went for a run over 150 times and I ran over 700 miles on this trail. No, no listen. <laughs> if I was a younger man, it would have been twice that. It, just 2020, it does things to you. So when I read the story of Cleopas and his friend, I get it. That is rational. Jesus has died. Hope is lost. We don't know what to do. Let's go for a run up to Emmaus. Because my strategy, I'm not saying it's a good one, but when you don't know what to do, just keep moving, right? Like, that's not, probably not a good strategy. Don't adopt that. But that is what I, what I often do. Uh, so one day last fall, I was running on this trail, sorting through life, frustrated, and I got to this spot in the trail, this little bend in the trail there, um, and I was running hard this particular day, thinking about, like, I counted it up. There was probably, like, six different things weighing on me, weighing on my heart and mind on that day. And like Cleopas, my mind was probably not totally on what I was doing. Um, and I remember I was right here, because you can just barely see it, but there's a little root in the trail right there. There it is. <laughs> Found it. Um, I have run past, the, I had run past this root a hundred times. No issue right? But on this day, I caught my toe on that route, and I went down hard. Have you ever fallen for no reason? <laughs> like you just weren't rock walking right? <laughs> it's humiliating, and uh, like nobody pushed me. It's not like the route moved. It's still there. It's in the same place. It's been there all year. Um, so I trip, and I fall, and I land right on my chest, scrape up my hands. I got the wind knocked out of me. I haven't had the wind knocked out of me since I was like 10 years old. Like when you're a kid, that happens a lot. You get the wind knocked out of you, right? As an adult, 
It's never happened to me until this moment. I had the wind knocked out of me. And I'm lying there on the ground, and I know I'm, I'm joking about it. It is funny in hindsight. But in the moment, like it just, I just felt humiliated. And I won't lie to you, I, like some tears started coming to my eyes, and it wasn't because I was hurt. I was fine, but it, like, it just was such a demoralizing moment. It was an insult to injury moment. I'm running because I'm so frustrated with these things that I can't figure out and I can't solve and the, the stuff that keeps happening. And then I trip and I fall and I just felt so stupid and so powerless. I'm already working through six different things in my head. Now I have a seventh. I'm a grown man who had the wind knocked out of him and can't run right. It's just too much. It's a breaking point moment. Have you been there? Have you had a breaking point moment this last year? I would wager almost all of us have. So I roll over on my back, um, make sure, first of all, no one saw this. (laughs) I'm confessing it to you. Trust me, I looked very cool as I fell. So I roll over on my back, I'm looking up at the sky, and just overwhelmed in the moment, I just had this moment with God, I was just so angry and frustrated, and I I remember verbatim what I prayed in that moment to God, I just cried out to him and I said, do you even see, do you even see what's happening down here, do you even see it? I wonder if that's not what Cleopas was thinking. He's on this road to Emmaus. The Bible says they were downcast. Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him. Jesus says, hey, what are you talking about? And they said, are you the only one who didn't see what just happened? And I bet if they were honest, in their heart of hearts, that was their question for God. Do you even see what's happening here, God? We had so many hopes shattered. I bet they wanted to ask that question to God, but they asked it to the stranger who unbeknownst to them and very ironically was in fact the God of the universe. Here's the thing about Jesus. He is always on the road in those moments. He travels that Emmaus road. He finds us when the wind is knocked out of us. I'm lying on my back in the dirt, grown man, wind knocked out of me, wondering, God, do you even see? Am I the only one who sees all this stuff, you know? Um, And I don't know if this is God. I'm not the sort of person who's like, God spoke to me. I don't say that a lot. Um, But I just sense the Holy Spirit say to my spirit, I see it. Can you just get back up and trust me with it? I see it. And I don't know if that was the voice of God. I do know this. uh, What Jesus said to Cleopas is very similar to that. I think this is what Jesus wants to say to each of us when he meets us in those demoralized moments on the road to Emmaus where the wind has been knocked out of us. And what he says is basically, why are you struggling to believe that God is in this moment? Isn't this how it had to happen? Isn't this how God shows you that he's trustworthy? Can you just get up again and trust him with it. Let him prove his trustworthiness to you. 
I wasn't hurt. It was a very simple thing to get up on that day and uh, get moving again. But I think what God taught me on that day was that the job is not just to get up and get moving. The job is to get up and start trusting. This is the journey we have before us. It is not one where we don't get the wind knocked out of us. You understand that, right? That's not an option. And we don't learn to trust God that way anyway. We don't learn to trust God on the easy stroll down the path. We learn to trust God on the Emmaus Road when the roots come up and we stumble and we fall because that's the road that our resurrected Jesus travels. That's where we learn his trustworthiness. And even when the wind is knocked out of us, even when we're downcast, he is there and he is big enough for those questions and his resurrection proves that he is big enough to be trusted. So let's get up and start trusting. That's the beginning and the end of the spiritual life. That's how Jesus lived. That's how he died. That's how he experienced resurrection. Resurrection is coming for us. But let's just suppose today that you do not die. What will you do with tomorrow? Can I suggest this? That because he is risen, we all wake up and trust Jesus with everything we have. Like, just imagine, what would be that thing that you would do if you could be assured that in the end of it all, God was going to prove to you that he is trustworthy? What would you do? Do that. Wake up and trust God with everything you have. And when the wind is knocked out of you and you're downcast because it feels like hope is lost and the darkness is winning, wake up and trust Jesus with everything you have. I know you people, and I I know this is true. So many of us have found ourselves on that road to Emmaus this year. Here's what I want you to hear. When you ask, "Are are you even seeing this, God? He is risen, and he is on that road with you. He hasn't given up on you. He came for you, and he hasn't given up on you. He is entirely trustworthy. So wake up. And trust Jesus with everything you have because resurrection is coming for us all. He is risen.